0: Well, we're going to pick up at verse 1. Romans chapter 11, starting at verse 1, it says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Verse 6, and if by grace then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. But please pray with me. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful book. Thank you, Lord, for the book of Romans and how we learn that you are not done yet with Israel. You still have a future in your plan for Israel. You have not cast them away And Lord, teach us. Maybe we have learned wrong doctrine, bad teaching from other places. But Lord, as we come to you and we come to your word, we ask that you would open up our understanding of your word, Lord. Help us to to simply hear what you have to say and to forget what the devil and everybody else wants to preach to us, God. Help us, cleanse us. Lord, we ask also that you would comfort our hearts, that you would prove yet again that you are the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Minister to us, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You guys can have a seat if you would, please. So I'm going to begin by telling you the story of Elijah, Elijah in 1 Kings. We pick up with him in chapter 18 in 1 Kings, and he's basically calling out and challenging the false prophets of Baal. And there's 450 false prophets of Baal. Any of you guys ever read that story, hear of that story? Crazy story. It'd be great for someone like Spielberg to do a movie about it, right? We'd love to see it with all the special effects. So he's calling out these 450 false prophets of Baal. He tells the people that all the Israelites gather together, hey, go out and get two bulls. And you false prophets of Baal, you go and pick which one you want. And they're basically going to cut it up And they're going to put it, they're going to arrange it on an altar. You cry out to your gods, I'll cry out to the Lord, and the one that answers by fire, he is God. Sounds like a pretty good challenge, right? 450 against one. All these other false, you know, to them it's gods, against your one God, Elijah? Okay, we'll take you up on that challenge. So what happens, though, is from the morning time up until about noon, These false prophets, they're like jumping up and down. Nobody's answering. They leaped about the altar which they had made. That's what it says in the text. And then Elijah mocked them. I'm going to display it here on the screen. It says in 1 Kings 18, we pick up at verse 27, And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating Meditating means like your God is talking with or contemplating somebody else, but is not you. Or he is busy. He is busy. The, the verbiage means your God is moving away or pursuing something else besides you. Or he's on a journey. On a journey. Your God is on the road is what is it's meaning. The Hebrew word Derek, the road. He's on the road. He's traveling. He's going somewhere else besides where you are. Or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. Like he's saying, your God fell asleep. You've got to wake up your God. And by the way, have a God that wakes you up. Amen? <laughs> Not a God that you have to wake up. So these false prophets, they cry out. They're cutting themselves like... <laughs> Listen here, <laughs> come on, listen. We're, we're looking bad here in front of all Israel. There's like 450 false prophets. Elijah's over there. I wish they ever had, you know, a YouTube video of this, just mm-hmm. mocking out like, ha, <laughs> <laughs> ha, <laughs> that's what I'd be doing. Ha, <laughs> ha, you, you ain't got no God. But it's so sad. They're cutting themselves. Their blood's like gushing out. They're trying to get their fake God's attention. There's no fake God. There is no real God except for one, amen? Okay. There isn't one. There's no God. And it says, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. They did this until about 3 p.m., until the time of the evening sacrifice. All right, so then Elijah calls out to the Lord, and it says, quote, the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and it looked up the water that was in the trench. He told them, okay, pour water on, pour on again, pour on again. So get it completely soaked with water. And the fire of God came down, consumed everything. And it says that the Israelites, quote, saw it. They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. So then Elijah told the people, Hey, get those prophets. They gathered the 450 false prophets, brought them down to the brook Kidron, and what did he do? He executed them. Pretty interesting day for Elijah, right? That's 1 Kings chapter 18. But then, you turn the page and you go to 1 Kings chapter 19. Jezebel, think about this, guys. As we read this and as we study this, I also want you and I to know that this can happen in our lives sometimes, right? We know that there's only one God. There's only one true God. There are also fake gods. God even says, besides me, I know no other. We could be used by the Lord, I'm not saying to go out and execute 450 false prophets. These days it's pretty easy to find probably that many. Don't do that. But if you are used by God, do guard and protect your heart. So Jezebel hears about this. She sends a message to Elijah saying, quote, So let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as a life of one of them, like the prophets that you executed, by tomorrow about this time. Jezebel. So Elijah, what does he do? He's like, I'm going to get you too. No, Elijah gets scared. And what does he do? He runs. He runs. So again, guard your heart. We can know that there's a God. Elijah is still celebrated as the most beloved prophet of Israel. You could be used of the Lord. Guard your heart because it could be right afterwards. It could be the next day. You and I are vulnerable to things like that one negative voice. How many of you guys know? And guys, man, all we know is... We know this, right? It could just take one female voice, right? Sometimes you women don't know how powerful you could be. Just guard your hearts, though. Sometimes all it takes is one negative voice, right, and we can run. So if that's where you find yourself at, well, maybe you can identify with Elijah. Elijah gets scared. He runs. He goes to a place called Horeb, and he hides in a cave. (laughs) That's what I've got a picture of here. And then the Lord speaks to Elijah. What does he tell him? I love this. First Kings 19, verse 13. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if you know the context, even as we're illustrating the story, the Lord sent fire down. It's like, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> I don't think it was like a, ah, get out of here. Forget about it. What are you doing here? It's like contemplating. What are you doing here, Elijah? You know I exist. It's kind of what I imagine him to think. Ah, Lord, I know. So Elijah tells God, in response to him, in verse 14, he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And listen to this. He says, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So this is the problem when you and I think everything depends on self. It could be like that. It could be like that in our marriages, and our families. Uh, on our jobs, in ministry, it could feel like this. And the problem is we would call this, this Elijah complex, the Elijah syndrome. Anybody hear of this before? This can happen sometimes. So it's interesting to take note of this. All it took was one negative voice in Elijah's life. And what does he do? Does he get more bold and empowered? No, he runs away. He just was used by God. He saw the fire of God come down. People publicly saw us, like, the Lord, Yahweh, okay? Jehovah, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And one negative voice, and he's running. So the Elijah complex is where you see God at work in your life in miraculous ways. But right after God uses you, you and I need to be on the alert, amen? Just guard your heart. Because a Jezebel can come around, and that one negative voice can push you to run in fear. That's the tactic of Satan, right? Fear, intimidation, pressure. But Elijah's too self-focused and what does he do? He ends up running and he goes and hides in a cave. Hey, I, I call this like a picture of running and hiding in a cave of depression. Even for people that are serving God? Yeah, look at Elijah. As again, go back and read the story when you can. 1 First, uh, First Kings 18 and now 1 Kings 19 hiding out in the cave of depression. So then God tells Elijah, look what he says here. I highlighted this, wor- this word in yellow. God tells Elijah in verse 18, yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. First Kings 19 verse 18. So the Hebrew word that I want us to focus on today, I know we're in Romans 11, but this is a word that as Paul in Romans 11 is tapping into First Kings 19, he's focusing on this word in Hebrew. This Hebrew word for reserved simply means to remain or even remnant. He's tapping into that story, which is where we pick up here in Romans chapter 11. And it's this Hebrew word for reserve that Paul taps into as we pick up this story here in Romans chapter 11. We're gonna learn that God retains a remnant of the righteous. God retains a remnant of the righteous. I'm going to say it again. God retains a remnant of the righteous. So if you find that you're in that place at times, and hey, we can all get there, where you're used of God. You know God exists. People even see that maybe God uses you publicly. Guard your heart, because sometimes that one pesky negative voice can cause us to run in fear, right? And you might be as God does with me at times. What are you doing here, Drew? Not what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here, Drew? You know I exist, Don't go and run and isolate yourself in this cave of depression. So focusing more on God than just on ourselves is what we need to do. Amen? We need to do this. So God's going to retain a remnant of the righteous. Let's come back now to Romans chapter 11. Paul taps into this story as he quotes it basically assuming that the people would understand the story, and we may not today, so I wanted to open up with this. So back in Romans chapter 11, look at this verse 5 here. Even so then, at this present time, there is a, Paul uses this word, remnant. It's translated into our English Bibles. There's a remnant according to the election of grace. This word for remnant simply means a remainder. Now the opposing thought of a remnant or remainder would be something like extinction. Okay, So here is Elijah. He's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I better go hide out. His excuse really is all it is. God, I know that you're the creator. I know you can send fire down from heaven. I know you're the only God. That's why I can mock them because it's a fake God. They don't have a real God. But I alone am left. And God's like, listen here, Elijah. I got 7,000 who have not Bowed the knee to Baal. So God will always have a remnant. This is a principle here. And as we open up this chapter, the first proof that God has a remnant of the righteous is actually, look at this, as it opens up in verse 1. It's Paul himself. We looked at this before. God has cast away his people? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite. So Paul himself is. The first proof that God always keeps a remnant of the righteous, not just at the times of Elijah, but also with Paul, as he's writing this book. He says he's an Israelite, and he even tells us he's of the seed of Abraham. That was proof of it. And he's of the tribe of Benjamin. He could even prove what tribe he's from. But although being a Jew, although being of the tribe of Benjamin, Paul himself was an Israelite, and yet. He received Yeshua as Messiah and got saved, right? So he's the first proof. And look at this in verses 2 to 4 as we open up by reading. Paul's just tapping into the scriptures here and using the story of Elijah. The second proof is the scriptures. First proof is Paul. The second proof that God retains a remnant of the righteous are the scriptures. Scriptures are a proof that God retains a remnant of the righteous. Um, as we got into this, we looked at Elijah. God had retained a remnant with Elijah and seven thousand Israelites. They were proof of a remnant. That's the exact example that Paul gives here in Romans chapter eleven. Okay. Again, you'll find that in First Kings chapter nineteen. To get a better picture of the story, you could read chapter eighteen. Read the entire book, but First Kings eighteen as well as nineteen. You get the context of the story. Uh, by the way, as we go on here, I. I do want to say Romans chapter 11, as we get into these scriptures here, these verses, Romans chapter 11 is one of the major proof texts in the Bible against what we call replacement theology or a.k.a. supersessionism. So replacement theology is the false teaching that the Gentile church has permanently replaced or superseded Israel both in the present and in the future. Replacement theology believers believe, basically, Jews are no longer God's elect chosen people, but that the Gentile Christians are. Uh, No way. Why? Romans chapter 11 is one of the greatest passages. What is it? Paul is actually saying God has a remnant. He will always keep a remnant of the righteous. So those that believe in replacement theology, they believe God does not have a future plan for Israel. And this, unfortunately, it was thought up and written up a while ago, many of the Reformed theology opposed, uh, adherents, which we are definitely not, uh, hold to that. But they, they need to update their theology, unfortunately. Because even the 1940s, how any of you guys remember? Israel got rebirthed as a nation. So what do we do with that? People need to update their false theology. But as a result of replacement theology, their view of end times prophecy is extremely unbiblical. I'm gonna give you just a couple of examples. How many of you like Revelation and end times prophecy, eschatology, study of biblical end times prophecy? Well, here's a couple of the many, 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 many passages they're gonna have problems with. If the Gentile Christian church replaces Israel, well, either I have to accept God's word or I'm going to try to you know, create a false theology. And that's what they did. So here's what Revelation 7 teaches. The 144,000 sealed Jews, they're 12,000 each of 12 different tribes. And God names the tribes. Now that's a problem, isn't it? That would have to be counseled out or spiritualized to be something else. Either God's a liar or his word is the word of truth. So they have a problem with their end times prophecy, uh, or their view of the end times. Revelation chapter 20, after the second coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus will set up his kingdom here on earth, and guess which city? In Jerusalem, okay, in Israel, for a literal how many years? 1,000 years, read up on that, that's Revelation chapter 20. That's called the millennial reign. So this is why many who hold to the false teachings of replacement theology don't believe in a literal 1,000 year reign or the millennial reign, the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. They believe in what's called amillennialism. You put an A in front of it and it negates it. It cancels it out. Like a theist is a believer in in a God. An atheist or atheist doesn't believe in a God. So amillennialism they don't believe that Jesus is going to set up an earthly kingdom in Jerusalem to rule and reign for a literal 1,000 years. That's a problem. Why? Because they don't want to embrace the holy city of Jerusalem or even God's people. Kay? And so if you hear of things like kingdom now, we're going to usher in the kingdom. Anybody, you guys hear that's like really popular. Or there is no 1,000 year millennial reign. Jesus, the king himself, has not set up his kingdom. That will be Revelation 20. Revelation 19 is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Chapter 20 in Revelation, he sets up his kingdom here on earth. The kingdom of God is not set up yet. Okay, and that will be in the future. That's Revelation chapter 20. Also, Daniel chapter 9. If you're studying biblical end times prophecy, if you love eschatology, this is a must, know, a must study, must know passage. Daniel 9 verse 23, the angel Gabriel prophesied there's going to be, and you guys see here as we study, we even throw up charts at times. I'm, I'm not going to do that today, but there's going to be a seven year covenant that is made with Israel. Not any nation, with Israel. And three and a half years into this covenant with Israel, it says, he, referring to the what some call Antichrist, shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. That's extremely important to know. There's going to be an end to sacrifice and offering. He, the one who made this seven year covenant with Israel, is going to halfway or three and a half years in this covenant with Israel he's going to bring an end to sacrifice and offering what does this mean then this means there's got to be a sacrifice and offering that's reinstated that means for the Jews they have to set up a temple in what city Jerusalem and upon which area the Temple Mount and there has not been another temple since it was destroyed like Jesus predicted so that's why you wanna, you wanna study and see, uh, that's why we look at even the, the red heifer of Numbers 19. They need the red heifer in order to, I'm not saying to, to support the building of the temple, I'm saying know what they're looking for and when you hear of uh, proposed red heifers coming on the scene, what do you know? They're getting more and more ready to build their temple. Which means all these other prophecies are coming into alignment that much more quickly. So three and a half years into this covenant made with Israel, there's going to be something. What do we call that event? The abomination of desolation. Matthew 24, Jesus refers to that. I think it's verse 15. Matthew's recording what Jesus says, and Matthew puts an aside. Matthew 24, verse 15, the red letter Bible. You'll see there's an aside, a parenthetical statement. Whoever reads, let him understand. In other words, go back to the book and take a look. Go back to Daniel's book where Jesus refers to the abomination of desolation and brings you back to Daniel 9 and what happens. Because they're asking Jesus about what's the sign of your coming in the end of the age and he's answering their end times prophecy questions. Extremely important to know. Okay, so those that don't believe that God has a plan for Israel in the future, they're going to take these passages and they can't take it literal They'll be liberal with it. They'll allegorize it. They'll spiritualize it. And that's an important thing to note. But for us, hey, praise God, we want to teach and preach throughout the entire Bible and study the text within the context. Amen? So we want to see what it's saying. Let's go back to it. I don't want to bore you with that. Okay, but it's as if God is saying, look at this here in this passage we're at. It's as if God is saying to all those that believe in replacement theology, quote, do you not know what the scripture says. This is an interesting and important. Do you not know what the scripture says? Okay, so God always retains a remnant of the righteous. So we looked at Elijah. Here's some other scriptural proof of God retaining a remnant. Remember at the time of Noah, how many people were saved? Rescued? Close. Eight. Okay, so you got Noah, his three sons, and then their four wives. So there's eight. Noah, his three sons, and their four wives were proof of a remnant. You could read about that in Genesis chapter 6. God retained a remnant of the people through Noah and his family. He destroyed all life on the earth with a worldwide flood. And let's go back. Let's take a look. Uh, Also at Lot in Genesis chapter 19. Remember, God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and how many got saved, got rescued. At the end, it was just three. Lot and his two daughters. That's Genesis chapter 19. God retained a remnant by rescuing Lot and his two daughters. Uh, you remember the time of the Babylonian captivity, the book that I just quoted, this guy named Daniel. Any Anybody love VeggieTales here? Anybody? Is it, am I the only one? <laughs> if you got kids, you might watch it. So, I, the reason why I mentioned it, they got a really cute one about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, which you find about in his book. So, you got Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many other Israelites, that after the Babylonian captivity, uh, or through the Babylonian captivity, they came down, and when Jeremiah wrote his book called Lamentations, it was a lament, a, a bemoaning, a, a wailing over the city, and over the destruction of the temple. So, King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon came from up north. They besieged the city. Uh, at first, they, they came and took out, uh, they, they killed a bunch of the royalty, took out people, supplanted different people in charge. About 11 years later, in AD 70, they destroyed the city, destroyed the temple. And, or I'm sorry, 586 BC, they destroyed that temple. And they took Daniel... Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, a bunch of the princes, so to speak, the youth, they took them up north into Babylon. God retained a remnant. By the way, you guys remember what was the reason why, as Jeremiah prophesied, what was the reason why God had to remove his children off the land? Do you guys, anybody remember? They broke something in Torah. They didn't obey God's word. What was that? They didn't give the land its Sabbath rest. And you calculate that, it's like, Oh, we owe God 70 years. And God's like, I'm going to make sure my word is fulfilled. Even if your children don't. Nope. Even if your children die? Yep. Okay. We're going to take you off the land. Give the land of Israel, okay, uh, the promised land. Give it 70 years of rest. And so Jeremiah prophesied this. You can follow along. If you're taking notes, Jeremiah 29, verse 10 and on, it says, For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. The next verse, this is very famous verse Jeremiah twenty nine, eleven. Extremely important to know the context, though. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Was was God speaking to the Gentile Christian church during that time? No. Who's he speaking to? The Jews. the Jews, not even the Babylonians, to his Jews. Uh, to his chosen elect people the jews the israelites then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and i will listen to you listen to what god is saying then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and i will listen to you that's verse 12 and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart i will be found by you says the lord and i will bring you back from your captivity how long again 70 years. That's Jeremiah 29. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, who drove them out of the promised land. God, it was the Lord. He used Babylon and King Nebuchadnezzar from up north to bring them down to drive out his children, says the Lord. And I will bring you to the place from which I cause you to be carried away, captain. So amazingly, this guy, the prophet Daniel, was reading that, what you want to call Jeremiah chapter 29. He was reading the scroll of Jeremiah, and he's like, wait a second. I'm not very good at math, but it's about 70 years. And so what does he do? He's obeying the word of God, like James says, right? Be a doer of the word. Because it says in Jeremiah 29, listen to this, because many of us have Jeremiah twenty-nine eleven as our favorite verse. But the next verse says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. So Daniel unrolled the scroll. He was reading that amazingly, that prophecy, knowing, hey, 70 years in this Babylonian captivity is almost up. We're about to go home. I need to do what God says. I need to seek you and pray to you. So Daniel was part of God's righteous remnant that he retains. They were in Babylon, and that time was almost up. Daniel wrote about this. You read about this in Daniel chapter 9. Daniel 9 verse 2 says, Daniel, or I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified, listen to this, by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet. That's so awesome. That he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make a request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned. Listen to that pronoun, we have sinned. Now Daniel was known in Babylon as a very righteous man, but look what he says, we have sinned. He's actually walking out God's word as he read about in Jeremiah 29. He's confessing the sins of him and the people. Awesome petition. We have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. So Daniel understood, wow, God don't play. When he says it, he's commanding it, and we just have to give the land its rest. Because of that, God would get those 70 years back. And so amazingly, later on in that chapter, again, that's Daniel chapter 29, later in that chapter, where I quoted earlier, the angel Gabriel in that same chapter appears to Daniel, he says, hey, I left as you started your, your prayers, your supplications, and I came to give you this prophecy, basically paraphrasing that and that's seen in Daniel 9 verses 24 to 27 where God gives through the angel Gabriel to Daniel as he writes in Daniel 9 uh, what many people consider one of the most amazingly accurate prophecies in the Old Testament about the coming of Messiah Jesus that's what you and I call on that exact day we call that Palm Sunday the day of the triumphal entry we see this and we study this okay when that time of year comes up For Easter time, as some might call it. And what happens after that is that Daniel's prophesying a further seven year period that has not yet been fulfilled. Okay, let's come back to this. Now, again, in in Romans chapter 11, back here at verse 5, notice this the third proof, okay, Daniel, or I'm sorry, (laughs) Paul himself is the first proof that God retains a remnant of the righteous. Second, the scriptures is full of it. He uses one example. I just gave you a couple others. Third proof, there's Messianic Jews today. Verse five, again, at this present time, there is a remnant. Paul himself said that at his time. Are there Messianic Jews today? Yes. Are there a ton of them? No, there's still a a remnant. At this present time, there is a remnant. And we're going to have to close here in a little bit. Let's continue on, though. Just do know this, guys. Anti-Semitism, it didn't start with Reformed theology. It's been in existence for a while. Okay? It's been around for a long time. Just know, though, that it's on the rise. Uh, and according to proper eschatology, or bi- the study of biblical end-time events, God still has a plan for Israel in the end times. Amen? So this is one reason why, for us and those that are studying and teaching through the entire Bible, we support Israel want to pray for them. God says he'll bless those that bless them and curse those that curse them. Make sense? Pretty simple. Okay, let's continue on. Now in verse 7, it says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should see, in ears that they should not hear, to this very day, so some Jews have received Yeshua as Messiah Paul himself was one again in this present day there are many messianic Jews not a ton compared to the Gentile Christian church we'll get into that another time okay but Israel at large does have a spiritual blindness do know that okay if you're someone like me where I study Torah I want to see Yeshua or Messiah in Torah and I came here to New York City post 9 eleven I'm like Yes, God. I studied this. There's a lot of Jews here. I go to Williamsburg. We live in Williamsburg. I go to South Williamsburg. Go in the stores. I remember like seeing a bunch of guys that go into some of the delis. they Like all talk. You know, the guys with like the big hats. I walk in. They say definitely not Jewish. Like, can I help you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm okay. <laughs> I'll go in the Judaica stores. Anybody know what a Judaica store is? Yeah. You can buy like Torah and things like that. I, I I love seeing like the commentaries go in the Judaica stores and some of them like looking at me make sure I'm not going to steal anything (laughs) 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 yeah and so I'm not all that accepted (laughs) Uh, but if you're like me and you want to be able to preach the gospel the good news of salvation through their Jewish Messiah Yeshua pray for them Reach out to them as you're able to. Uh, If you have doctors or others that you go to, or maybe you know some friends or you work with or neighbors, coworkers, friends, whoever, approach them, talk to them at their level. Understand, though, as you're going with us through Romans, as I've been sharing with you, the word Christ is a dirty word. It's a bad word to a lot of Jews. We looked at some of the reasons why. They consider Hitler a Christian. Please understand that. And we looked at even someone like Martin Luther who reportedly supposedly helped to inspire and incite Nazi Germany. And what did they do? They eradicated so many Jews. But again, God will still retain a righteous remnant. Okay, so do know though, there is a spiritual blindness with Israel. If you're going to fast and pray, good, please do. If you want to reach out to them and share, good, please do. But... Uh, I just want to encourage you to do so, like, and I learned this from studying in the New Testament. How did the writer of Hebrews or even Matthew Levi, who was a Jew, how did they approach these topics? Well, you've got to approach it at their level. The writer of Hebrews will quote a lot of things within Torah. The writer doesn't mention the temple. The writer in Hebrews refers to the tabernacle, my personal favorite thing to study in the Old Testament. And you start to look at some of these things. He mentions the high priest. This is the Jewishness of it. So when I speak to someone that's a a Jew, they're maybe Orthodox Jew, and I want to help them to receive Yeshua as Messiah, it's their Messiah, like their their Jewish Messiah who they just reject, I'll say Messiah instead of Christ. You're referring to the same person, but they've been trained, uh, when they hear Christ or Christian, it's like, get away from me. And you can refer to some of these things in a way that will honor them and you'll help build a bridge to communicate with them. Make sense, amen? Please do so. But if you're like me and you do something, you're like, God, this is so frustrating. Why can't they just see it? There is a spiritual blindness that has come upon Israel at large. So pray for them. Again, I personally studied these things. These are uh, things of my personal interest and when I, when I came here, I thought, yes, you're going to use me to maybe help rescue some of the Jews. And I want to share with them. And, oh, you know, all those things well up in the heart. I realized, ah, oh, I think I'm more Ephesians 4, verse 12, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Maybe God had used me to know these things and study and open up my understanding greatly and immensely, I think, um, to be able to share with others because maybe you will be the ones. Maybe I'm closed off to them. They are open. Some of them are open. I even see them in a store where I work at, and and I'll, I'll try to share with them. Oh, I study Torah too. And like, oh, and they always look at you kind of weird. And I'll share with them. Oh, like try to you know see where they're at. Oh, have you heard about the red heifer? Like, and most Jews today, like, what is that? And I'm like, well, this is actually in your scriptures. Like, really? <laughs> and I'll share with them all my love for Israel, and I I, I wish I would have grown up going to Hebrew school, learning. Hebrew and almost almost everyone that I get close enough as a friend to share that with, they're usually thrown off the like, I hated that. Like what do you why do you want to? But trying to stir them up, provoke them to jealousy. Why? Because you and I, predominantly as Gentile Christians in this thing called the, the church, it's their scriptures, it's their Messiah, right? And we're they're the root, we're grafted in we the the wild plant <laughs> grafted in. But do know there's a spiritual blindness that's come upon them. Continue to pray for them. 9 and 10, and we'll close. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. So that comes as a quote from Psalm 69, verses 22 and 23. Can we all stand, please? We're going to close with a word of prayer. So today, God also has another righteous remnant. Who is that? That's you. That's me. In the body of Christ, in the church. No, we're not spiritual Israel. No, we don't replace Israel. God still has a plan for them. But during these times of the Gentiles, where you and I can receive this Jewish Messiah, let's still respect Israel. Let's still pray for our Israeli brethren, our Jewish neighbors, coworkers, friends. You may have a Jewish boss. You might need to pray for them. Let's still pray for them, respect them, but do know also that God also retains a righteous remnant with you, with me. And he wants to utilize your life. I know he wants to utilize my life. I'm so about that. And he still wants to use my life. But he wants to use your life too, to reach out to others. Let's continue to reach out and share the good news of salvation through Jesus Messiah, amen? Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word. Thank you, Lord. That you do retain a righteous remnant. You've done that all the way from the beginning, Lord. We see that in your scriptures. We see that not just with Paul, not just with Elijah. We even looked at, like, with Noah and his family. We see also Lot and his two daughters. Lord, we see that with your children as you brought them up into Babylon. You're going to retain this righteous remnant, Lord. That's your way. And oftentimes you choose to bless and utilize that remnant, that small group that can minister to the larger group. And we ask that you would also empower us today, Lord. We know that we don't replace Israel. We never will. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God of Israel. You still have a plan for them in the future. But Lord, during these times when you're focusing on salvation, primarily through these Gentiles like us, God, we ask that you would empower us to be missionaries wherever we work, wherever we live, wherever we go, in this city and around the world. Use us mightily for your glory. We ask for your empowerment, Father. And in our personal lives, we ask, can you please teach us yet again, you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Comfort us, empower us, work through our lives, God, for your glory. For we ask in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.